This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. Okay, so um, before we begin, a quick announcement. Uh, BJX uh, is, they have this type of a campaign, uh, which is very, very interesting. I think it's amazing that they do this every year during Hanukkah time, where they, you're, you're able to purchase uh, mezuzot for the people that are less affiliated. So they give these mezuzot for free. So if anybody wants to donate, I think it's uh, $36 towards uh, the cost of a mezuzah, which that is very cheap. So they're getting it like a cost price for sure. So if anybody does one, please uh, see me. Um, I would have used the link, but it's like, I don't even know how to like forward slash forward slash secure dot merchant page. You know, there's a whole other thing. If anybody needs either on the online world or anywhere else, just email me or uh, come to me after class and I'll tell you uh, what is the way that you could donate and you could um, donate a mezuzah for somebody who doesn't have one, which is, uh, I think that's, that's pretty cool. Or... Also, if you know people that don't have mezuzot, the other way around also, please also let me know, and then we could uh, set them up with some uh, free mezuzot. Okay. Uh, what? Okay, so everybody's welcome to join us at BJX every Thursday at 8 p.m. At 8 p.m., the address is 1601 Quentin Road. I don't know why. Like, I can memorize so much stuff, but it's weird that memorizing this is, is uh, you know... Very odd. Okay, um, but just FYI, keep in uh, the loop, I guess, regarding the next week and the following week. We will have class, we'll have replacement, or uh, what, whatever will happen. Okay, let us begin. Hanukkah. Um, can you believe it's Hanukkah already? Like, I just remember what it was summer. I mean, I forgot that it was summer when it was summer. You, sometimes, you know, like, you're so busy, and, like, you, you're like, wait, it's, it's actually summer? And then you're, before you know it, like, I have to wear my coat again? Like, what happened to summer? Where did summer go? And, but it's so unbelievable that already, it's already Hanukkah. And, uh, um, you know, I saw this, well, I have to be honest. I saw the title of this article. I didn't read it. It's an article in Time Magazine in uh, December of 2011 uh, was why Hanukkah is the most celebrated Jewish holiday in America. I found that very interesting. That Hanukkah is the most celebrated. I mean, I knew this before. No. They say Hanukkah. Well, Time, you know, they have a shkacha from and uh, Reform Rabbi. And uh, they, whatever it is, but um, usually... You know, a, 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 again, I don't know the publication time and how well it does its research, but I'm assuming a big name like that would probably do some research. And yeah, they say Hanukkah is the most celebrated holiday. They gave a bunch of reasons. I didn't have time to read it. Um, but I want to give my own different, and, and that's really the focus that I, that I want to, you know, get into. But before we begin on the story of, uh, on the, on the actual, on the, the depths, what we usually do, if everyone's not familiar, Every single holiday, what I try to do when I give over a class is not just to like speak about nice tidbits about the class, but rather to get the deep underlying meaning, to get a little bit of a more personal, like what's going on over here? Like what are we doing? Get a little bit of an understanding of what we do, why we do what we do. That's the correct order. So... Getting a very, very quick, brief, um, you know, background on uh, the Hanukkah story. So, you know, it was at the time when the Jews were in the land of Israel. And in the land of Israel at that time was under Greek uh, rulership. And the Greeks were very interesting people because at one hand they were very advanced. They had, you know, advanced mathematics, science. They even were advanced in philosophy. And at the same point in time, when you think when someone's so advanced, they would have a more of a, you know, 
what, what's the word? It's like, you know, a more of like a refined character. You know, you're advanced, you're sophisticated, you went to college, you know, you did all these things. You should be a little bit more refined in your character. But at the same point in time, they were so advanced, but they were very, very barbaric. And what's odd is that you throw into the equation, they also believe, they, they were, you know, not at least a big majority of them believed in gods. You know, they believed in, in multiple gods. So, what was very interesting is that even though they believed in the, in the gods, they believed that the gods didn't really care what they did. So they were able to do everything. So there's always a way out. If you want a way out, there is always a way out. And then what happened was, so the Greeks were living, the Jews were living, everything was nice and dandy. Um, and then about, about 150 years before the Hanukkah story, there was something known as the Septuagint. I'm sure you guys are familiar with Septuagint. Septuagint was where uh, the king over there went and ordered the, the Torah to be translated into Greek. And the Torah was translated into Greek. Now, the Torah has a very, it's very deep, it's philosophical. I, until this point in time, the Greeks saw the Jews and a bunch of weirdos that wear stuff on their arms, wear some fringes on the thing. You know, the girls, for some odd reason, dress modestly. Well, the truth is everyone was dressing modestly back then. They, they were just like one of those odd people that we have no clue what, why they do what we do, right? Imagine, and I don't want to call out the Amish people out here because I know I have a very large population of Amish people that listen to my classes. Um, I'm kidding. They don't have internet. <laughs> yeah. um, with their candles, they're able to... Um, I'll be very surprised. I'm going to get an email, be like, well, listen, you know, because the Amish people, they have like one year sabbatical from like Amish land or something like that. And they could do whatever they want. Be like, well, as I was, you know, <laughs> well, you never know. Okay. Let's put it this way. If you're out there, Amish person, please reach out to me and let me know that you're listening to my classes. Because the next week, next time we speak, I will mention it. Let's see if that actually, uh, if it actually happens. I'll get a, like an Amish, uh, you know, person. Maybe Ezekiel is listening to me, okay? So, okay, so now, the, um, how do we even get to Amish people? I don't even know how I get to places where I get. Okay, in any case, the, um, oh, the, the, uh, uh, this is where I got to it. So you look at, at, you know, you know, Amish town, where is that, Pennsylvania? Right? You look at, uh, you know, you look at the, the place in Amish town, right? You go there when Hershey Park is closed. They have nowhere else to go. So you go to Amish, right? You go to Amish town, you wonder, like, they look odd, they look different. They have reasons for what they do. And I'm not saying it's wrong, you know, but they have reasons for what they do. But you look at it as very odd. But once you learn maybe about the reasoning and the understanding behind it, you'll be like, okay, maybe it makes sense that they're going away from technology. Maybe it isn't, maybe it is, whatever it is. But when the Greeks look at the Jews, they were like, what are these people doing? They're, you know, they're just, you know, like, you know, be up in the times. You really, you got to dress like that. You got to do all these things. You can't eat everything. And then what happened was the Septuagint came around and the Greeks were able to read the Torah. And then they were like, oh, these guys are not weirdos. They actually have very sophisticated, you know, a, a, you know, type of, you know, text more sophisticated than what they had. And it's sort of, instead of becoming like Jews, what are they? They were like, Jews were coming up to sort of a like, okay, you know, uh, the Greeks, they had their viewpoint on the world and they were trying to spread their culture and they had, uh, you know, their understanding of the way the world should be. And now the Jews had a very strong understanding of the way, the way their, their world should be. So all of a sudden, it sort of clashed. All of a sudden, it was like, okay, wait a minute. You're like a threat to us. And then things started escalating after that. The, you know, and unfortunately, 
the Greeks did have a very strong influence on the Jewish society. They were known as the, you know, the, Hel- the Hellenism. Hellenism came in that the Greeks were, be- the Jews were becoming more Greek-like, known to be, you know, Hellenistic. And until, you know, then the story, you will fast forward, then we have the Hashmanaim. We had a bunch of, you know, of, of Torah scholars that literally took on the greatest army on planet Earth. They took on, you know, what is like, what is a naval key, what is it, what's the highest, uh, army level in like, um, you know, the Navy SEAL Team 6? Who killed Osama Bin Laden? We never know though, but who killed Osama Bin Laden? Whatever. Who killed, Navy, who? That's it, just Team 6. Okay. So the Navy SEAL Team 6. You're, imagine you have a bunch of like yeshiva guys gonna be like, you know what? We're gonna take out the Navy SEAL Team 6 times like the whole army. You know, you'd be like, are you kidding me? Well, that's what happened. And how do we commemorate that? By lighting a lamp, right? That's why we, we light a few light candles. Uh, what does that have to do with uh, anything? Uh, different class. Did I ever speak about that? Right. Well, it's a good question. It is a very good question. <laughs> did I ever speak about it? If not, I should speak about it. Is it? Did I speak about it? I don't remember what I spoke about. Um, Isn't it this week? Didn't you say finding the light in the Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. It's actually the opposite. It's finding the darkness. Yeah, We're not looking. You know, I I send this to someone. It's finding the title of tonight's class is finding the darkness, and people are like, "What? Finding a darkness? I thought you were supposed to find lightness." No, today we're going to find the darkness, and then we'll take over the world. Okay, so now the okay, so let's speak. Let's start uh, speaking with regard what Reb Shimshon Pinkas. Reb Shimshon Pinkas goes and says, "There's a Gemara in Shabbat, page twenty-one B. It says Tano Rabbanan." Mitzvat Chanukah Ner Ish Vebeto. The mitzvah of Chanukah is regarding a candle, a nail. Now says Rabbi Shem Shem Bigas, where else do we see now? Where else do we see a candle? Anybody know? Besides Shabbos, where else? Ner specifically. Pesach. Pesach. Very good. Who's who answered that? I thought I heard it from a few different angles. Yeah. Pesach. So we see by Pesach, what do we do with a narrow Pesach? We're searching. We're searching for chametz. Says Rav Shimshon Pinkis, if we're using the same word over here by nail, and over here now, there, there's something, the nail denotes something more than just light. It's denoting something to search. On Pesach, we search for um, chametz. On Chanukah, we're searching for something else. What are we searching for, for uh, on something else? It's on Chanukah, says Rav Shimshon Pinkis, we're searching for darkness. This is not really my title. It's Rav Shimshon Pinkis' title. We're searching for darkness. So what does that mean that we're searching for darkness? So imagine somebody is born blind, never was able to see in their life. I don't know why I translated what blind being born blind is, but in case you didn't know what that means, now you do. Okay, he was, uh, this person was, was born blind. Now this person doesn't really know what they're missing. They never had it to be missed. They don't know what a sunrise is. They don't know what color red is. They don't even, cannot even understand what a smiling face is. They can maybe through feel and touch, but they can't really, uh, you know, appreciate what a smiling face is. But then let's say they go and they're able to see suddenly. There's a miraculous surgery, whatever it is, and they're able to see. Now they're able to realize what they really missed out on in their entire life. Only once they realize that they are able to see can they realize what they were actually, uh, you know, what they're actually missing. The same idea is like, you know, if you're in the garbage, like literally always in the garbage, you don't smell the garbage. You realize that, oh wait, the world smells a little bit better than this when you're outside the garbage. Whenever you're involved in something, it's very hard to see the reality of it. But once you're outside of it, it, it brings it in a whole different picture. There is a Gemara in uh, Bab Mitziah, page 83b. It says, it brings a, off a Pasuk in Tehillim, chapter 104, verse 20. It says, uh, You make darkness and there will be light. And 
what the Gemara says over there, you know what it's referring to over here? This, this, this Pasuk in Tehilim, it's referring to darkness is in this world. This world, the Chachamim, the sages say in the Gemara that this world is referred to darkness. Now why is this world referred to darkness? The Misirat Yisharim goes, the Ramchal goes and brings down, says that when a person is imprisoned by his evil inclination, you cannot see clearly. You really cannot see clearly and it's just like as if you're looking at night. Now when you're looking at the night, it could do one of two things. Either it can make you not see something, and that's why if it's really dark, you can go and trip over something that you didn't see there. Or it could also, what it could also do, it can make you look like something is really there that really is not there. And, you know, I've asked this, usually women will say yes more to this than men, but have you ever been walking in the street and, let's say it's in a park, never work in the park at night, right? But if you do, and there's like bushes moving, you're like, oh man, there's someone there, right? Guys don't know what it's talking about because guys are... You know, we're always spacing out. We don't actually look. You know, you know, women are actually, you know, like, purple scanning everything. Everybody's a threat, right? You know, like, um, but in any case, you know, what night can do is either night can make something appear that it's not there, or make something look like it's not there, or at the other hand, it can make something that is there look like it's something else. It can make, it can switch it around. So now, says the Mesilati Sharim, it says, how did this goes in this world also through materialism? When someone's very involved in materialism, the, the, the nighttime, the world, being that it's dark, it doesn't allow the person to see that there is a stumbling block. That there's something going on over there that the person's gonna fall. That the person's gonna get hurt by something. Either it could be like, you don't think this is bad. And you end up doing it because you don't even see it. Why? Because you're in the dark. And you don't realize that it's something, that, it, that it's an issue. This is also, one of the reasons I feel like the, the shidduch system really works. I speak to a lot of people, and, you know, when people go and they ask me about the dating issues, and then they say, um, uh, you know, then I ask them, okay, do you have a shidduch resume? They're like, no, 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 I don't do, I don't do the whole shidduch system. I'm like, why not? I'm like, they, I'm like oh, I want to meet someone, you know, by myself. You know, obviously not, because you're asking me. You know, you obviously not want to meet, you know, it's like, what is the whole, and, and people really have a bad, bad outlook on the shidduch system. I think it's an amazing thing. When you're, if, if let's say you date somebody outside the shidduch system, and I'm not saying it's bad that you could date in that, in that manner also, but let's say you do, sometimes you get so involved in the person, you get into the infatuation stage, that you can no longer see the issues, because you're already infatuated. But if you go through the shidduch stage, you're able to go and like, you know, sort of scan out, is there going to be an issue over here? Is there not going to be an issue over here? There's a different outlook that you're able to see things more intellectually than being emotionally, you know, invested in something. Once you're emotionally invested in something, your, your, your eyesight is blinded. You can't see clearly. And this is why you have many people that they date for like seven years, and then after, then they get married, and then they get divorced two years later. I'm like, what didn't you know about the person you were dating them for seven years? Like, I never knew this and this and this. I'm like, of course you knew it, but you were blinded by then by whatever else was going on. You weren't able to see things clearly. This is the idea that your person doesn't see the stumbling block. If you don't see the stumbling block because it's at night, then you end up falling because you don't even know that the object is there. The second thing says the Ramchal, is that, and this is even more dangerous, is that it, it distorts your sight. You see something as if it's something else. Now, why is this a problem? Sometimes people are doing something bad. But in their mind, it's the best thing that they can possibly do. And they change things. So you have people that they go and they take people out of yeshivat and they put them in college. Be like, what do you mean? Of course I'm helping people. In their mind, they're doing the best things. There are organizations that try to take people away from Judaism. In their mind, they're thinking that they're doing the best thing that they can. Look at Christian missionaries. In their mind, they're thinking they're saving the world. Meanwhile, they're digging a very, very deep hole in a very hot place. But they don't see that because they think that they're doing the right thing. This is also, you could also relate this in Shiduchim. You know, um, 
a girl's on a date, let's say, and uh, the waiter comes, and the guy is very angry, very, you know, no tip, being very stingy, very, uh, you know, argumentative, uh, very angry, and she's thinking, he's a good businessman. He knows what he's doing. Really, no, he's just cheap. He's stingy. He has an anger issue. But she doesn't see that because she's so invested in him already that she can't even begin, begin to see the signs. So they get into it. You see something that is bad. You see stinginess, which is bad. You see anger, which is bad. But you, you, you say that, no, really, it's good. Really, this person is a really good businessman. Are you guys are familiar with the, uh, with the black light? Anybody familiar with the black light? Right? So... Um, if anybody's planning on going to a hotel in the near foreseeable future, don't listen to the next 45 seconds of what I'm about to say. The hotel people, what they do is, some, if they want to check the cleanliness of a room, they use a black light inside inside a room. Why? Because bodily fluids, blood, and crime investigators use this as well. Because it shows up in a black light, but it doesn't show up in a, in, in a regular light. So you open up your hotel room, everything looks sparkling clean. Then you shut it off and you turn on a black light, and it looks like a crime scene. It's like, and you open it up again, everything is gone. You close it, everything all of a sudden is there. And it's crazy. What we see sometimes is not really what we get. The, the way that we look at Greek culture, you know, Greek culture, you think, you know, back then, it was great. What are you talking about? Very sophisticated, very advanced, all the science and math, the philosophy, it's all great. The way that they saw, you know, the Greek culture, that's by using the regular fluorescent bulb. But if you really want to see something, you really want to see how dirty it is, you, and again, depending on the dirt that it is, but let's say you're looking for bodily fluids, you want to turn off the light and you want to use a black light. So looking at the Greek philosophy is amazing. That means that you're looking at it with the regular light. You turn it off and you use a black light, aka Judaism, you see what it really is for, what it really stands for. The, you know, in, in some places, um, it's, it's okay to beat your wife. Uh, you know, in some places, sometimes they end in stands. Sometimes they, you know, you know, don't end in stands. But, uh, you know, it's kind of okay to beat your wife. And it's not like, you know, it's not like, you know, like, it's like a taboo thing, you know, you know, no, it's like, you know, everyone says, yeah, you know, I beat my wife today, just with a four inch ruler, not with a stick, whatever, whatever. You know, there's different criteria, of course. It's okay. Because they see things from their perspective. In some places, in some, in some cultures, it's not a bad thing to steal as long as you don't get caught. When you get caught, then it's bad. But beforehand, it's okay. But these, the truth is, these are very extreme. What about things that, you know, in our day and age, we think that it's okay that we don't have to smile at people. Because why? Because we had a bad day. Oh, and if you have a bad day, then you can let it out on your family. Because it's, oh, I had a bad day, I have an excuse. Who said that? In our old mind, we see things from a different light. Not the correct light, but we see things from one angle that is very, very much, you know, incorrect. The, you know, you, you, you have people that are in abusive relationships that they don't even realize that it's abusive. They think that it's normal. Or even worse, they think that it's their fault. There are some people that are stuck in these types of situations that think that it's their fault. There are people that, you know, that, you know, I, I've spoken to, to numerous people like this, either depressed, suicidal, you know, you know, any other emotional issues. And I would tell them, you know, you should go speak to somebody. You should see therapy. No, I don't need therapy. In their mind, they don't feel that they need therapy. By the way, the, the, one of the scariest things, there's so many people that need therapy that are not in therapy. And there's so many people that are in therapy that do not need therapy. If I would take this a step further, there's so many therapists that should not be therapists. But I don't want to start a battle right now. Apparently, I just did. But, uh, but the idea is, is that, you know, people don't see themselves in their true light. 
They think, I'm okay. I don't need help. I am fine. There are marriages I need help. But they say, no, I'm okay. I don't need any help. They're looking at it from their angle. But if they were to look at it from a different angle, if they would just turn on the light and look at things, they would be like, no, we need some major help going on over here. There's some huge problems. The biggest problem that we have is that we live in darkness and we don't know it. Says Rab Shem Pingas, he says, you know what? It, what is Hanukkah? Hanukkah? What you need to do on Hanukkah is to realize that you live in darkness. Yeah, you have to search and realize that you're in dar- If you're not, you don't realize that you're in darkness, you will never turn on the light because you think everything else is normal. You think this is the way that it's supposed to be. If you're, if someone was blind and they don't realize what they're missing until they finally turn on the light, you don't realize what you're missing until you turn on the light. There's a Midrash in, in Bereshit Rabbah. That brings up a pasuk in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. It says, The earth was astonishingly empty and the darkness was on the deep. Says the Midrash like this. It says, Tohu, this is the exile of Babel. Vavau is the exile of Madai. Bechoshech is the exile of Greek, of Yavan. The, the Greek's exile was literally known in the, in the, in the Midrashim, it's known as darkness. It says, you know, they darkened their eyes with their decrees. There's different reasons and different, you know, ideas of why and what happened that the Greeks' exile is known as darkness. You know, there's something very, very different about the Greek exile than any of our other exiles. You look in the exiles, let's say in the, in the Egyptian exile. The Egyptians were throwing Jewish children into the water. But yet, the, you know, the, you know, the Jews back then were like, you know what? Thank God I'm a Jew. I'd rather be a Jew than a, than a, than a Gentile. And the, you know, and then you go to the, let's say the exile of Babel. Babel was a very, very barbaric, you know, uh, you know, nation. They said, okay, even though they're causing us so much problem, I'm, thank God I'm a Jew and I'm not that. Parasuma died. They were very into their pleasures. Thank God I'm a Jew and I'm not Persian. Not talking about the Persians now, the Persians back then. And just FYI, I don't, I'm gonna, about to get into we, very off tangent. You're not Persian, you're Jewish. Okay, stop calling, what are you, I'm Persian. No, that should never be, the first thing they should say, what are you, I'm Jewish. No, but really, what are you? No, I'm really Jewish. I get this all the time. I get people ask me this question all the time. So what are you? So I'm Jewish. Uh, they get very frustrated because it gets, you know, it goes on. You know, like, you think you could go on for long? I could, no, but really, what are you? No, really, I'm, yeah, I'm Jewish. The question people like to say, like, where are you from? Right. I'm a Jew. Is my answer. No, but really, where are you from? Avraham Yitzhak and Yaakov. Why? Where are you from? It's like, no, I, you, know, I, you know, I'm from, uh, you know, Uzbekistan. Is that, uh, you know, Chas Shalom, right? You know, for some, I know. No, it's not, yeah, no. Um, uh, but uh, um, I know you guys are from Azabajan. I, you know, I've been teaching the community for quite some time. Um, uh, but, you know, like, people go and they associate themselves not as a Jew, but as, you know, I'm Syrian, I'm Ashkenazi, I am this, I'm that. No, you're a Jew. Yeah, and I don't like that question. But I already know you're Jewish. Yeah, so. Uh, <laughs> it's like if I ask you what are you and you answer a boy, like I know you're a boy. But that's right, so the question shouldn't be asked. Oh. The, que- the, the question shouldn't be, in my, in my, in my, in my eyes, the question, the question shouldn't be asked. But whatever it is, the, you know, when you, when they go and the Nazis, let's look at the Nazis, and then in a the time where the Nazis were murdering Jewish people, and the Jewish people would still prefer to be Jews than to be the, the be the ones that are in the camps and the ones to be controlling the camps. They said, no, thank God that I am a Jew and I'm not a Nazi. But there was something very different regarding the Greek exile. But when the Greek exile, it wasn't like, thank God I wasn't Greek. No, they wanted to be like the Greek. 
They want it to be like that. Oh, look how beauty it is, you know, the beauty that, it, that it, the Greeks had. It says, yeah, you know, uh, God gave beauty to Yafet. And oh, we see the beauty of Greece and we want to be like them. The Greeks use a very different tactic than any of other exiles. They have, a lot of our other exiles was murder, destruction and destroy and just kill out. The Greeks were like, huh, assimilate, we'll be good. You know, me and you are both the same. And guess what? It worked. You know, the, a lot of Jews, you know, you know, you know, fell into this. And this is an attack, not necessarily on the body, but it's an attack on the, on the soul of the person. It says Rabbi Shimson Pika, says, you know, worry now, we're in the exile of Rome, Edom. Uh, and he says, but after the exile of Greece came Edom. He says, but still, even though we're currently, we're in the exile of Rome, of Edom, of, of Rome, we're still in the exile of Greece. What does that mean? The, the idea of Greece is, is practically speaking, is the Western culture. You know, you know, Sparta came, the sport comes from Greek, the Olympics come from, uh, from Greek. If I'm not mistaken, I think they have some sort of fire. That's in Athens, right? It's, the, the whole thing started from, it's a, the culture that we live in right now is a Greek culture. I mean, it was westernized because we moved, whatever, but then saying the, the centralized, you know, origin was Greek, Greece. The, you know, we look at entertainment, sports, and science, and we enjoy all these things. It's great, it's fun. It appears to us as light. It's enjoyment, it's entertainment. Where are you going? I'm gonna see a movie. It's entertaining, it's amazing. You know, and then you go after, afterward, and then you go and you explain it, and this, and this, and you have, it's light in our eyes. We don't see that it's darkness. We don't see it. You know, you could, you have people that would binge watch for like their day off, and then they just spend, you know, 10 hours a day watching, uh, you know, a TV show. Just, you know, I gotta catch up. Who, who's testing you? We're, why? We have the uh, water cooler talk, you know, like, oh, so what's going on the latest of the little show? You know, like, you know, oh, yeah, I, have to, I love that. I, I had to catch up. Like, catch up to, are you catch up? You know, can I test you? Like, what's catch up mean? Like, to what? To what do you have to catch? And people are going and they're, they're so involved in this and this is a light to them. This is amazing. This is beautiful. It's entertaining. It's relaxing. You go to sport. I speak to guys. They're so involved in, in sports. They have their teams. This is my team. I'm like, congratulations, it's very expensive to own a team. You know, like, how is it your team? Like, no, it's not only that they follow it, it's that they read up the news behind it. Who was traded? How much are they paying for it? What's going, and then some people, they bet on these things, and they spend a lot of money on these things, they lose a lot of money, whatever it is. They go, you know, they're on, it's, it's, it's becoming, you know, a society that we see it, this is a light. We don't see it as darkness. We don't see it as a problem. This is amazing. This is great. This is good. What's the big problem about playing, you know, uh, you know, video game? It's just sports for 17 hours straight. There's no, is there anything? It's kosher. But, you know, but for, so for us, it looks like it's a light. But in essence, you know, we're very strongly influenced. And we could see we're still under the Greek spell. We want to, we dress like them. We talk like them. We want to be like them. How different are we back then? We look back then and be like, I can't believe they did that in the time of the Beth Amikdash. I'm like, we're doing the same thing over here. Granted, it's slightly different, but we're still doing the same thing. You know, it's interesting. When, when people go to college, you think they're learning so much knowledge. They're becoming so advanced. They should be able to come even closer to God. Because they see the beauty of the, especially if you go into sciences or things like that, you see the beauty of the world, you should come closer to God. But yet, it goes the opposite direction. People usually, and it's not, it, it's not always, there are people that come closer, but generally it goes a little bit on, you know, in the opposite direction. And, and, and the question is why? Why does it do that? Uh, there was a guy that I knew in Yeshiva. That this guy was the top, he was a genius of, of a guy. He was the top on the top of the Shiva. And, um, literally, like, everything he learned, he memorized the first time. And, um, 
this guy ended up going to, you know, a top Ivy League uh, law school. And I saw him a few years later, and he was a guy that was very religious. Big yarmulke, tzitzit out, always learning. I saw him a few years later. His yarmulke was so small. You know, like sometimes people strategically wear the kippah so that you can't really figure out. I'm like, is this guy still religious? You know, is it not? And then, you know, you're like, you know, like, it, it's, it, like, what happened to that person? He went to an Ivy League, co- you know, college for law school, and that really what's, what's changed him. And I'm not talking about the environment. The environment is a whole nother situation. I'm talking about just the knowledge that you're, that you're, that you're, uh, you're taught. So, the idea behind it is something very interesting. What Shimshim Pinkus explains. He says, let's say there's a fisherman that goes and he's looking to, uh, catch a very, very small fish, a half a millimeter, uh, long fish. And he's using a net, and for months and months he's, he's going where it's said that it's supposed to be found, and he's trying to catch a fish, and he's, nothing is being, is being caught. And then he goes and he, he, uh, you know, he, some other guy goes and looks at his net, and they say, listen, your net is one, there, the gap is one millimeter thick. He says, of course you're not gonna find a half a millimeter inch, you know, half a millimeter, uh, you know, fish, because they're gonna slip right through the cracks. And he's like, oh, I, you know, I never, I didn't even think about that. And he goes, and imagine this guy wouldn't have told him that. Imagine he would have kept on going on for years. He was searching for the, with this net throughout all the waters. Eventually he would have come to the conclusion, this fish doesn't exist because they say the fish exists here. I searched for years with this net and nothing was found. Must be that it doesn't exist. Of course it doesn't exist because you are using the wrong tools. If you're using the wrong tools, you'll never find something. Now when we go, uh, you know, if you're going to look in college and you go, the way that it works is, is, you're able, whatever you see is what you get. So you have, sometimes you go through microscopes and you can see very, very small objects. Sometimes you go look through telescopes and you can see objects very, very far away. And we use this, there's a certain knowledge ever since that, you know, we're little, we came up with. If it, I didn't see it, must mean it doesn't exist. You ever, you realize a little kid say, okay, go find your shoes, please. And they go into the room, says, my shoes are not there. I'm like, how do you know they're not there? Did you check? I checked. Every single place, it's not there. It's lost. Somebody took them, usually, is what they say, right? Somebody stole them from me. You know, it's never my fault. Somebody took my shoes. And what, what is that? What is the knowledge? Where does that come from? It comes from, I looked. I saw. It wasn't there. Must be. It doesn't exist. Oh, maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe the, the idea is that you have to make sure you, when we're going in college and you're going and you're looking at all these things, you're looking at things from a physical perspective. And we see this exists because we see this exists. We could, we could explain it. This exists because we see this exists. And then we try to use that same knowledge, that same criteria to look for spirituality. We say, listen, I learned in college. This, I saw, I saw, I saw. This is all subconscious. I see this must be, and then we're going and we're looking at spirituality and we see, ah, I can't see it. Must be it doesn't exist. Of course it doesn't exist. You're using the wrong tools. You cannot try to catch a fish that's a half a millimeter long with a net that has a gap of one millimeter long. Of course you're not going to see it. You're using the wrong tools. And this is a very, very big problem. The way that we see the world is we're using our own internal you know, understanding of the world to try to understand spirituality. Which meanwhile, we're using the wrong, the wrong, uh, the wrong tools. And the biggest, the biggest lie to ourselves is our senses. Because our eyes, our touch, our smell, our, you know, our hearing, we all appear to think that whatever we see is what we get. But in truth is, there's so much more that goes on to it. And this is a job in Hanukkah. In Hanukkah, we are supposed to know that we're in the darkness. A lot of times we use the wrong tools. A lot of times we don't see what reality is. The, the, the idea is, it goes even further. We are so much in the darkness that we can't even think. You realize that for a majority of the people, a majority of their time, they're either on their phone, the computer, or the tablet. They're either talking, listening, or watching something. They never have a chance for a second to think. We're so afraid of our own thoughts. It's so unbelievable. 
people go to the bathroom, they're on the phone. People are on the train, they're on the phone. By the way, doing nothing. You know, they're doing nothing on their phone. They're, they're looking through their apps or going through their messages, be like, why is nobody messaging me? You know, like, and that, you know, whatever it is, I, I don't want to get into that. But, uh, the, you know, you go over here, we're doing nothing. Why? Because God forbid that we spend one minute thinking, uh, you know, like, what is life? What do we have to do? Like, what's going on over here? We become so afraid of ourselves that we can't even begin to think that we're in the darkness. We don't even know that we're in the darkness. The, um, this goes even further, even to the idea of, of Hashgacha, that everything that comes from God. The Chavot al-Bavot brings down a, you know, a short story that there was once a Hasid, a righteous man that was traveling, and he, and he found in a faraway land, he was traveling for business, and he found in a faraway land the person that was serving idols. It was a you know, idol worshiper. And he says, how could you be like such a fool and worship idols? He said, who do you worship? He says, I worship the true God who is in control of everything, who gives everything, and you know, he goes on and on, claiming the greatness of God. So the idol worshiper goes and be like, really? If your God is so great, then why do you have to travel for work? Why do you have to be over here? If he's so great, he can't feed you over there? And this chassit was like, you know what, you're right. And he got on the boat, and he went back to where he was. Says of Shemshapikas, this guy, he was in the darkness. He knew what the darkness was, but sometimes we don't even realize that we're in the darkness. You know how, how often it happens that like, oh, I know who's in the darkness. You know, like, it's everybody else but me that's in the darkness. You know, the... <coughs> The idea is also further is that not only do we not see ourselves in darkness, but we judge others so quickly, so fast, that we don't even, we're like, we think we're 100% correct. There was a true story that happened in Israel. There was a, um, in a, in a, in a particular town, there was a very, very famous, uh, nursery school. And in this nursery school, there was, uh, you know, the nursery teacher, and then she had her assistant. And the assistant made sure that everything was clean, everything was sparkling, and then everything was working like tip-top shape. Like the kids loved the teacher, the kids loved the assistant, and the parents loved the assistant because everything was always spotless, and it was great. It was going great for a long time. However, the, you know, the, the assistant you know, was getting older and older, and the teacher said, listen, you know, it's, maybe it's time for you to retire, and you know, we'll get you somebody, somebody you know, that's, that's younger. And the, you know, the assistant says, why? You know, I could do my job just fine. Why should I retire? And they were going back and forth, back and forth. Finally, the, the teacher went over, you know, went above her, went to the, you know, the person who owns the school and said, listen, this has to happen. I, you know, we can't do it. Until the, the school went and said, listen, um, it's, uh, this is going to be your last year. We're not renewing your contract next year. And they basically dismissed this assistant. And this assistant and her family were furious. How dare, after all these years, that all that we have done for this, and what, you look, the, the, the classroom is clean, everything is perfect, why would you go and give it up? And it was, it was a very, very heated, you know, uh, you know, argument. To the extent that the assistant went, and the assistant started going and calling the parents that were going to enroll next year, I'd be like, don't send your kids back over there, look what they did to me. Look how they kicked me out. And, you know, generally when there is a feud going on, people don't like to get involved. Some people get involved with like taking sides. Yeah, how could they do that? No, she's very old. How? Oh, yeah, but how can, you know, people like to do this. Whatever the reason was, you know, by the time Pesach came around to enroll for the next year, the place was empty. Nobody wanted to enroll in there. And um, it was about a month before the school year ended, and the assistant had a heart attack. And uh, the assistant was rushed to the hospital. Two weeks later, the assistant passed away. Now, everybody in the town were talking about it. He was like, you know who killed this assistant? He says, where did you get her heart attack from? From the teacher. How dare she go? How dare she go and, and, and kick her out after all these loyal years and look how great she was doing her job. Uh, needless to say, you know, enrollment, whoever did enroll in the school that year, you know, then the following year withdrew. So there was like nothing going on in there. Now, 
you know, the you know, after by after the funeral, uh, there is known as the shiva. The shiva is where people go and pay respects to the family for a period of seven days. The last day of the shiva, the seventh day, there was an announcement made that there's going to be a hesped. There's going to be a, another eulogy that the son wants to give over a message that from the mother. That now everybody realize. First of all, this is controversial. When you're dealing with controversy, you know, controversy, everybody's interested. Everybody's, you know, interested. You want to know one? Unfortunately, one of the, you know, what type of best classes are done online? Are you know, get the most hits? Controversial topics. They're like, ooh, you know, like, like you know, even when we think we're doing good and we want to learn Torah, we want to do good, we're still, you know, like, okay, fine. The Yetzirah still has a way. I'll be like, okay, fine. You're doing good, but listen to this. <laughs> you don't know what's going on. Controversy sells. So. The, um, you know, the place was packed, needless to say. Everyone was like, ooh, what's gonna happen? The son's gonna give a eulogy. So the son gets up there, and first, you know, he starts, you know, giving praise about his mother, and, um, you know, and then he goes on and says, you know, a lot of people here are under the impression that she had a heart attack because she was fired. And he says, the truth is, you know, we were very angry, you know, and that, you know, that did, you know, you know, catalyze the entire, you know, situation. But the truth be told is that, you know, she had a heart condition already 10 years ago. And then he stops for a second. He says, you know, I'm about to tell you a few things that it's going to look like it's going to be a terrible offense to the memory of, of my mother, of the deceased. But soon you'll understand why he's going to, why I'm saying that, why he's going to be saying that. He said that in the last 10 years of her life, the, his mother suffered from a heart condition that made it very, very difficult for her to work, that she would get very tired very frequently. And to the extent that, you know, she came to, you know, to, to work and she was supposed to do some things, but, you know, because of her heart condition, she wouldn't be able to. So the teacher would have to cover up her, you know, tracks. And, you know, the teacher had, you know, two daughters and the daughters, you know, would help out and would do the cleaning, would do whatever the assistant would usually be able to do because of her heart condition that she wouldn't be able to do. The, the, you know, the, the, the daughters of the teacher would take care of. He says, and then, you know, it started, you know, the, the teacher went over. This is about three years going back. This is, by the way, um, the son goes over to her, and, and the son goes over to the crowd and says, how do I know this information? He says, because my mother came over to me in a dream a few days ago, and she asked me to mention this. And she says that, you know, three years... It's where the authors write it. I don't know. <laughs> it's where good stories... The stories are happening here, but people keep it to themselves. Israel's a like, good story. Let everybody hear and learn from it. So now, if you have a good story, share it with the public. You can learn from it. So... Um, he um, he goes on and he says that uh, you know the mother goes on in this dream and tells him that you know three year, about three years ago you know the teacher came over and said listen he says you know she has a daughter that's getting married and the other daughter is going to seminary they're not going to be able to help that they always usually help you know would you please consider retiring because I won't be able to do it myself and she says what do you mean I help so much why would you need to do anything yourself and she realized that it was a soft thought so she withdrew it the following year. You know, she realized that she didn't have any help, and she, the teacher, was doing it herself, and it was a double workload, and it was very difficult for her. And she goes back over to the, you know, to the to the assistant, and says, "Listen, it's very difficult for me. Can you please, you know, can we talk about retirement? And you know, you have your pension, you'll be able to be well taken care of." And you know, the assistant started crying. You know, she, this is the mother telling the son. He says, "I started crying." He's like, "What do you mean?" He says, "This means so much to me." And he says, you know, that, you know, as the children to this mother said, you know, it, you know, it really hurt us so much because even though their mother was so sick, she gave up everything to give to Parnassa for the family. So then, and then you went and you fired her, fired her. So then the mother goes on in the dream and says, and then finally the last year says, you know, at, at that point, the heart condition was so extreme that she wasn't able to do 
practically anything. She would put some cheese on the bread, maybe clear up some toys. But the rest was this teacher had to cover everything. She did her job and the other job. And she said, at this point, I can't anymore. She says, her family is taking a toll on it. They're not seeing her. She's, it's going too much and it can't happen anymore. And she, she tried to talk to, to this new mother saying, she tried to talk to me and I didn't want to listen. And he says, no, it's not true. This, I couldn't, he says, I was so blinded by it that I couldn't see, I couldn't see the truth. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, she goes and then she says, you know, I came up to, up to heaven and I was judged and I was judged to be righteous, but I have one block. I says, this block is, you know, this teacher is a righteous person. And he says, I caused her a lot of problems. And, you know, whatever it is that you do, the wrong needs to be right. And please don't worry about my honor. This is the mother telling the son in the dream. I want you to go gather everybody and tell them over the story. He says, it's not her fault. It's not her. She's a righteous woman and she's amazing and she's great. And she took everything on herself. And I was too blind to see it. Please go and tell everybody this so I'd be able to go into heaven. That's what the mother comes over to the son in the dream. And the son goes over and says, and, and you know, and he says, you know, his mother says, says, honor in the next world means nothing. It's all about the deeds that you did. And says, right. She said, do not hide anything. Everything that I said, give over. And, you know, he went and he went over and after, after the husband, there was 10 rabbis that went over, 10 righteous people went over to the, the, um, the teacher's house because she didn't show up. She was like, you know, she was MIA. She was like for a few days after, after, imagine what happened. She fires somebody and all of a sudden the person dies. Like you don't show your face in public. They made her like an entourage, you know, visit with her to her house, asked her for forgiveness. And needless to say is that the following, you know, within a few days, the entire, you know, school was filled to the, you know, to, you know, to the top. But the idea is, is that how often we get so stuck in our ways that we don't even realize that we're not seeing things in the right perspective. How often do we judge others and we don't see things in the right, you know, in the right light? And even more so, we get so stuck in a certain scenario that we don't think we're a problem. And even right now, right here, a lot of us are sitting over here, and by us I mean you, are sitting over here and are not thinking that maybe I have an issue. Maybe I need to do something. How many of us are actually saying that? Or what we're saying, be like, that's very nice. That's a, that's a good vertora. Yeah, that's a great, you know, like, how many of us are actually thinking for a second, wait, maybe I am in darkness. But no, we don't see that. Like, even if we're, even now that I'm saying this to you, you're still like, okay, fine, but I'm not really in darkness. Like, no, you are in darkness. We are all in darkness. And stop thinking, you ever hear a class and be like, you know who really should listen to this class? <laughs> yeah, you. You should really listen to this class. Stop worrying about other people. Listening to the class, you speak about, you know, let's say it's a class about anger. Be like, you know who really is an angry person? You know, like, I really should send this class to that person. Oh, they should have been here. Be like, no, relax about everybody else. Think about yourself for a second. And think about, you need this. You are in darkness. We are all in darkness. We really, literally have to stop for a second. And if this is all you do from coming out of the class, and I'm like, wait a minute, am I in darkness? Am I living life to the fullest? Am I being stuck in something that I don't understand? Am I in a place that I don't, that, that I don't want to be? You know, there was uh, uh, um, there was once a guy that uh, lived in Israel. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> lived in Israel, and um, he uh, he was in his sixties, uh, and uh, he his family owned a business that was a what are you? It's like a they work only a few months out of the year. Right, they don't have to work that hard, and it's a few months out of the year. And Bochum, the business was able to provide for the family very, very well. But for the majority of the year, he didn't have anything to do. So he went to Shear, he learned a little bit of this, and he tried to find a job. But when he was looking at it, he was well off, and he was going to find another job and be like, "What? That's what you pay people? Like that's ridiculous. That's what people live on." Well, 
Possibly. Makes sense. It doesn't say, the story doesn't bring down what it was. But, it, but that's what I would think it was also. In any case, he remained unemployed. So one day, his daughter comes up to him, his little daughter comes up to him and says, Daddy, what, what do you do for, for a living? And he was like, caught off guard. He's like, what do you mean? I'm in the secret service. You know, like, you know, like just like, as a joke, he said that. And she's like, what's the secret service? And he was like busy. He's like, just ask mommy. So the little girl, you know, goes over to him and says, mommy, what's uh, the secret service? So the mother, you know, didn't know where it's coming from. Just explain to the best ability that you can. Now, they thought, you know, the father thought it was a good joke, it was a funny joke, and then completely forgot about it. Until a few months later, he gets a phone call from the principal. And the principal says, listen, he says, uh, we need some help. And he's like, well, you know, what's going on? He's like, you know, we have a, um, you know, we have security in the school, and there's a guard there. And, you know, the guard is a student, and the guard is always looking inside his notes, and he's studying. Never actually looks and, you know, observes the situation. We need to get a replace. We tried calling the government, we tried getting a new guard, but nothing is doing. Can you please help us? And he's like, he had no idea. He's like, why would I be able to help you? And she's like, listen, we know. You know, can you please help us? And he's like, you know what? He has no, I have no idea what you're talking about. And she's like, listen, you know, one time I was, you know, you know, what is it called? You know, it's a, um, not when the, when the principal comes into the class. Observing. observing. Is that what it is? Observing is, I thought it was, I don't know, shadowing, whatever it was. She was in the class. And, you know, the, the teacher was asking the girls what, you know, the parents' father did. And, you know, your little girl said that you're in the Secret Service. And um, we kind of need your help. And he's like, he's like, no, 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 I'm not in the Secret Service. That was a joke. I, I didn't really mean it. And she's like, sure, sure, whatever, follow your regulations. I know you can't. If you would have told me that you're in the Secret Service, I wouldn't have believed you. But of course, and he's like, no, you don't understand. I'm not in the Secret Service. And she's like, sure. Sure, you're not in the Secret Service. Listen, we need help. If you can help, please, you know, wink, wink, you know, help, you know, in this situation. And she hangs up the phone. He's like, what? He's like, this girl's not getting a you know, hint over here. And he's like, you know what? He had a friend in the, you know, in the government, in the, educa- in the Department of Education. He calls up his friend and says, listen, can you do me a favor? He says, this is my daughter's school, yada, yada. And he's like, yeah, let me make a quick phone call. He makes a quick, needless to say, within two hours, the whole thing was, was uh, the whole thing was taken care of. Just so happened to be, he knew he had a friend. And within a few hours, the principal calls him and says, we just want to say thank you very much for whatever you didn't do. Um, and, you know, and he thought, okay, this is what's, you know, what's, you know, you know, and it was, it wasn't, it was going to be for, you know, forgotten. But the problem is, is that when there is a secret, um, a lot of people get to hear the secret, and a lot of people start keeping the secret. Very shortly, the entire school staff was keeping his secret. And within a short period of time, the entire town was keeping his secret. And, uh, and people were like, of course, you didn't realize, you never have this, like, of course, you didn't realize that. He, like, works a few months a year. He's always traveling abroad, and then he's, like, over. Of course, he's in the Secret Service. How do you not even see that? We knew this all along. And, uh, you know, and, and people, you know, would come over to him and be like, by the way, you know, we know, Noah, you know. No, uh, like I didn't, and it got to the point that, and by the way, it, it actually helped his benefit. Like his kids stopped being bullied in school. Be like, you don't touch this, don't touch his family. You know, the family is very well connected. You don't want to mess around with it. He wanted in Israel. If you want to go and you want to extend your your property, you have to get you know permission from all the neighbors. He wanted to expend, extend his property for a long time now, and but the neighbor didn't want to because maybe possibly after possibly Chasuvshal, maybe there's going to be light that's going to stop coming into his house uh, because of this extension. So he said no. All of a sudden, he calls him up and he says, listen, I was thinking about it. If you really want to extend, by all means, you could extend. 
You know, he probably thought his phones are being tapped. You know, who knows what's going on over here? So, you know, life was going pretty interesting, you know, to him. And then, you know, people started asking him in shul, you know, like about politics. Or what do you say about this? You know, sometimes we get stuck in our own web. And, you know, he started giving like cryptic messages. You know, he's like, listen, I can't say anything, but um, <laughs> possibly there's something here. You know, maybe. I, I, I don't know. But I'm saying they were like, wow, okay. You know, like, you know, he was going into like a... You know, in a very, very, you know, interesting, you know, scene. Then one time, the 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 the, the town was there was a, there was a you know there was more burglaries that were happening. So needless to say, they came right over to him, and they're you know he was like, "What do you want me to do?" So listen, we know you can't. Can you try to do pull some strings, do something? So he says, "Listen, go to the chief of police. You know, don't tell him I sent you because he doesn't know who I am." <laughs> Which is very true, because this guy has not anything to do with the secret. But it's like, tell them this and this and this, which is something very obvious, and then, you know, you'll go with it. So, they go and they tell the chief of police they want to start a, a, uh, night watch, like a, like a showroom type of a situation. And he's like, excellent thing, you know, they were, and then they go back over to him and says, uh, you know, there was a few people that came over to him, like, you know, back to this secret service guy, and he says, listen, do you want to lead it? Do you want to be the commander? Do you want to be the leading of it? And he's like, I can't do that. And they were like, one of them was like, I told you he can't do that. It's going to ruin his cover. Of course he can't do that. And he was just like thinking, I can't do it because I don't know what to do. You know, like, I have no idea. Um, but anyways, they all started making excuses for, for being that. Finally, it came, you know, sometimes you've gone too far that he wasn't sleeping anymore. He's like, I'm going to get arrested for impersonating and, you know, a, you know, a secret service or anything. But then he's like, they're not going to be able to get anything to me because I denied everything. But no one believed me. He's like, what am I supposed to do? You know, like, and he was like, I have to put an end to this. And he tried, what he tried to do is he tried getting a job as a teacher. But who would hire an ex-secret service person? <laughs> and until finally he found some far off school that never heard of him. And they took him as a job. And eventually, as a, as a teacher. Eventually, you know, the, um, he overheard his daughter speaking to one of her friends and be like, you know, I heard, you know, the, the, it says that I hear that your father's not more in the secret service. He says, of course he's not in the secret service. He got bored of that. Now he's in the teacher. You know, like, okay, but whatever it is, you know, people go on and make excuses. But what happens is, is that sometimes we're in, so invested in our own lie that we know it's not true. <laughs> But kind of, it's kind of cool, you know. Like, so we kind of sell ourselves that this is this is we get lost in our own darkness. That was the end of the story. Yeah, he didn't get arrested. In <laughs> only in Israel. Yeah, some stories only happen in Israel, in a place where you can have Coca Cola in your bottle at two years old, mixed with a little Benadryl and probably some tequila. You know, anything can happen. So um, whatever it was that. So now, so now we, we we realize, you know. This should bring it should open your eyes a little bit to the to to the understanding that you know we are in darkness. We are in darkness. So the question is, okay, fine. Now that I've been mentioning for the past three minutes, or I don't know, right? We just started three minutes ago about darkness. What? How do I? What's light? Like what's anything? Like what does this have to do with? Like how do I? Where do I? What's the lessons that I learned from Hanukkah that I could learn from this? So the um, the idea of of the opposite of darkness is. Three words, and that is Ein Oid Milvadoi. Ein Oid Milvadoi means that there is nothing other than God. There's a Gemara in Ta'anit, page 25a, that Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa saw his daughter was sad. And he said to her, what's going on? Why are you sad? And she said, you know, when I was lighting the candles, I confused the vinegar with oil. So instead of putting oil into the lamps, I put vinegar and I lit it. So Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa says, so what's the big deal? You know, if anybody knows anything about anything, they know the vinegar doesn't light. And he's, so Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa says, listen, the one that said that oil will light, we'll say the vinegar will light. What's the big deal? You know, it makes a difference. And guess what? The vinegar lit, just like it was. The idea is what? There's nothing other than God. 
We think we see chemistry, we see science as go, as like, oh, it's all nature. No, everything has to do with God. If you realize that everything has to do with God, then guess what? It doesn't make a difference if it's natural, if it's supernatural. It makes the same idea. That's why a lot of righteous people they get miracles. Why do they get miracles? For them, a natural thing and a supernatural thing is both equally the same miracle. It's all from God. So they see the same thing. It says you want to know what the biggest proof of there's nothing, Enod Melvado, there's nothing other than God? The story of Hanukkah. How can you get a bunch of yeshiva guys, of rabbis, beat Navy Teal Team 6, whatever, SEAL Team 6. SEAL Team, SEAL Navy Team 6. That was a joke, I know that, okay. Navy SEAL Team 6, okay. How can they beat the greatest army in the world? How? How are they able to do that? Why? Because ain't no There's nothing other than God. Now, of course they could beat it. What's the big difference? But the problem is a lot of people, what they do is they place themselves in their own darkness. We put ourselves and we're like, I can't accomplish this. That was clear. Okay. I can't accomplish this. What, imagine what it is that there's so many times that, that happens in our lives that we think that we'll never be able to achieve greatness. We never think we could do it. Come on. We can't do that. Imagine what it would have been if the Hashem thought, like, beat the Greek army? Are you kidding me? Never will be able to do that. Guess what? We would not be where we are today. The idea, the lesson that we learned from Hanukkah is that the Eno Novada, you could do anything. Think big, accomplish a lot. That's the way that you're supposed to think. The Rambam says in, in uh, the Hilchot Hanukkah, the fourth parak in Halacha 12, it says, Mitzvah Ner Hanukkah, Mitzvah Chaviva Hiyad Me'od. It is a great mitzvah. It's Chaviva, it's beloved. And now, by the way, out of all the mitzvot, the Rambam only picks this mitzvah, the mitzvah of lighting the candles of Hanukkah as being Chaviva, most beloved. Now, why? Out of all the mitzvot, this is what that's the most beloved. Why not Shabbat? Why not kosher? Why not something else? Purim? Why? Is it, why the, the the candles lighting the candles of Hanukkah, lighting the oil of Hanukkah? Says Rav Shlomo Zalman Arbach. Says you know there's a lacham that you if you lit candles and you weren't you didn't have the the intent the concentration of what of having thanks which is what you should be having the intent when you're lighting the candles this year boy whatever men woman if you're lighting the candles you should have the intent that you're saying thanks to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. you're saying thanks to God that is what you need to go and that is what you need to think and if you didn't think that said Hashem Zahmarach you are Yotze you did not fulfill your obligation to light the candle to light the, the Hanukkah candles the Ramban, Nachmanides, says in the end of Pasha's boy, says, you know what the purpose of mitzvot are? The purpose of mitzvot is to acknowledge and believe that there is a God and to thank God. Two purposes. To acknowledge that there is a God and to thank God. Out of all the commandments, what is the commandment that is the most direct expression of thanks to God? Hanukkah. It's literally saying, thank you God. And that's why we're lighting. That's why out of all the commandments, you, this is a requirement that you have to have the concentration. And if you don't have the concentration, you're not Yotzeb. Because you have to have the concentration and you have to think that I'm thanking God right now. I'm thinking, and by the way, it's not like, you know, someone gives you a thank you. Like, no. Thank you God. Like, thank you. Like, really a thank you. Like, like not just like a thank you. You know what I'm saying? I know I'm saying the same words, but uh, you know, say, you know, the, the thank you. Hanukkah is a time that we realize that we're in darkness. And once we realize we're in darkness, we realize that getting out is by realizing everything is God. And once we realize that everything is God, oh, then we could give thanks. Then we could say, oh, really, thank. Not a, that's a real thank you when you realize that everything is from God. Says Hashem Ishmuel. He brings a midrash in Bamidbar Abba that said there were three gifts in the world. Wisdom, strength, and wealth. Out of these three, wealth is the most external. You don't see, you know, uh, you know, it, it doesn't, it, it's wealth is very, very external. It's not, it's not internal to the person. And you can see it based on the, you know, people wear, what dress, the drive, the eat, the things like that. You can tell by the wealth. Strength is a little bit more internal, but still external. 
Um, you know, like, have you ever had this? Like, there's some people that they look so weak, but they're so weirdly strong. Like, it makes no sense. Like, how are you so strong? It doesn't make any sense. So, like, strength is a little bit more internal, but it's still external. Wisdom is the most internal. Wisdom is something that's going inside. Now, these three wisdoms are corresponding to three early exiles that the Jews were subjected to. Babel, the first one, they were characterized by their strength. They were very, very strong. That was external. Parasum Adai, the story of Purim, they were known for their wealth. They were very wealthy, and we know Achashverosh did a crazy, crazy party showing off his wealth. And the Greeks finally were known for their wisdom. That was the most internal part of it. Cesar of Dest was something very interesting. He says, you know, when you go and you come into a lot of money, you get a good business deal and you make a lot of money. You feel good about yourself. You feel good. You feel happy. Now let's say you make even more money. Then you make another business deal and you make even more money. Then you feel even better about yourself. And it continues. The more things that happen to you, the more good that you feel about yourself. Now what happens? Let's say you have a good friend. And this good friend makes a lot of money. So you feel good for this friend. Thank God that this friend made a lot of money. I'm assuming that you don't have any jealousy issues. You're saying, thank God that I, that you feel good. You feel happy. But now let's say the friend makes even more money. Oh, okay, fine. It doesn't really bother you that much. It doesn't really, it, the, the, the joy doesn't increase as much as if it would have increased when you have received double, triple, and you know, quadruple times of, of benefits. But for yourself, it would. For others, it wouldn't. The same idea as Rav Dessa with Yom Tov. It's something very interesting. On Yom Tov, and we see this a lot, that the first day of Yom Tov, it's like exciting. It's like new. It's like, okay, I have joy. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, you know, you know, fully psyched for this Yom Tov. Like, okay, it's like awesome. It's amazing. But then what happens is like, the Yom Tov goes on and you're like, alright, whatever. Like the joy dies down. By the way, that's not the correct way that it should be. The joy should increase. You ever have the first Pesach said though? You're like, okay, this is awesome. I'm like, okay, we gotta do this again. And your joy is sort of like, okay, it's like not new anymore. It's like, okay, fine. You know, like we did this yesterday. Let's get, the, you know, let's get everyone's tired. Drink the four cups of wine. Let's lean to the side. Get matzah all over the ground. And let's get, let's get on with the show. But it shouldn't be that way. It should be, the correct way is, the Yom Tov starts, you're psyched. Then it continues, you get even more psyched. Oh, <laughs> it's crazy. You get even more, and then more and more and more. That's the way it should be. It shouldn't be going the, you know, the other way. Says Rav Dasar, there's three modes of serving God. And it's corresponding to the three parts of the soul. Nefesh, guach, and neshama. Nefesh is the most external part. Is when you're serving the, the, you're doing, the, you're serving God, you're doing all the mitzvot, but it's external. You're doing it out of habit. You do it, so okay, fine, you're doing it. You, there's no internal connection into it. Then the next thing is guach. Guach is you get a little bit, there's some emotions that goes on when you do it, the, but still, you know, it's, you're not, it's not fully inside of you. And then there is, then, then there's a neshama. Neshama is when it's fully inside. When it's fully inside, that's when you're, you're fully enveloped. You're not doing things out of habit. You're doing things because you want it. You're doing things because you understand that you, there's a joy that, ex, that increases by you doing the, the mitzvot. And this is what happens with, uh, you know, on Sukkot, we give 70 bulls for, on, on the, on, uh, for the nations of the world. And they go in descending. They start off from 13 and they end off at, at 7 bulls per day at the 7th day. Now why is that? Because that's generally how the non-Jews, the Gentiles serve God. They start off, it's new, it's exciting. And then it slowly weans off. That's why you have a lot of people that they come, you know, I, I deal with, you know, a lot of people, let's say they're going in the conversion process. In the beginning, they're psyched. And then, well, let's see, about six months. It's sort of like, okay, fiddle off, and then they, they go on. Because in the beginning, you're going to get psyched. How do you know someone's true when not only you don't, you don't, the, 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 the craziness, the, the awesomeness doesn't die down, but it increases over time. That's when you know that things are really internal. Things are really, they're really correct. Now we can understand the, the machloka, the dispute between Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel and Gemara and Shabbat, page 21b. The machloka is like this. Should you go and light the candles in ascending order, like Bet Hillel, or descending 
order like Bet Shemai. So right now, the way that we light is like Bet We write the first night, we light one. Second night, we light two. Third night, we light three. And so on and so forth. Uh, Bet says the opposite. First, you start off with eight. Then you go to seven. And then six and five and four. And you go you know, to the bottom. Now, what was the Machok? The Machok is, what is the way that we're supposed to serve God? Bet says that we're supposed to start. This is the way that our focus is supposed to be. We're supposed to start at one. And then we're supposed to build up and be like, I'm so psyched. Now it's the second day of Hanukkah. And you get two candles. And then you're, you're psyching yourself up. And then you're growing as the holiday goes down. Your excitement increases, not decreases. Says Bet Shemai, and this is no, let's, let's focus it from an average Jew. Unfortunately, what's the way that the average Jew goes? Average Jew starts from eight, full excitement. And then, you know, the battery slowly dies. As you get finally to the last day, is, is, you know, is one. The Greeks... What do they try to contaminate? They try to contaminate our wisdom. They wanted to make us assimilate. They wanted to get us, we're by our eternal part. So our eternal part is what we need to work on. That is what we're lighting the candles. We're, we're working on our internal part. Now we're working on anything else. This is what the Greeks wanted to destroy. This is what we need to go and we need to fight. There's a pasuk in Yov that says, Wisdom from where it will be found. But me'ayin also denotes nothingness. Nothingness. Wisdom will come from nothingness. What does that mean? Means that if you want to get wise, you have to come from nothing. Meaning you have to realize that you're humble. That's why, for example, the, the, the understanding of paraduma, which is a chok, which is something that's very hard to understand, only Moshe Rabbeinu was able to understand it. Why? Because he was the most humble of everybody. Humility is a prerequisite for understanding Torah knowledge, Torah wisdom. Aaron Cohen, out of all, you know, he was known for his humility. And that's why it's something very interesting. The flask of oil has to be, has to be sealed by the Aaron Cohen, Because the oil is denoting for wisdom, denoting the chokhmah, denoting the secrets of the Torah. Ah, if you want to get that, you have to follow Aaron Cohen, which is, which is denoting the, you know, the, the humility. Now, Greeks, what were they known for? They were known for their arrogance. Aristotle said that anything that is unable to understand must be that it's not true. Talk about arrogance. If I don't understand something, you know, it must be that, it, you know, that it's not true. That is the idea of figuring out, of, of getting into, you know, into the wisdom. Now we could go and wrap it up and realize, understand, what is a good, what were we dealing with, with the ner? Ner, we started off the ner. We started off that what? Just like you're searching on Pesach by a ner. For what? For Hametz? So too you're searching on Hanukkah for something. What are we searching for? We're searching for darkness. It says, but why specifically by ner? We realize when we're searching for Hametz on Pesach, we're using a one wick candle. Why not a torch? You can see much better with a torch. Because in essence, says the Ben Ishchai and his Agadah that when you're going and when you're lighting, when you're, when you're searching for something, when you're searching for chametz, chametz is denoting the yetzarah, the evil inclination. And the single wick is denoting humility. It says you want to know and you want to really search yourself, you have to be humble. So when you look at a telescope, if you, there's, two, there's two ends of the telescope. One is small and one is large. If you look at, a small, at the small end, you'll see everything that's far away much closer. But if you look at the large end, you'll see everything that's very, very close as very, very far away. It depends on how you look at yourself. If you look at yourself from the small angle, you're looking at yourself from the hum- humble, then you'll look at all your problems and be like, wait a minute, I have to fix a lot of things. And you'll realize through humility, you realize what you're really in darkness for and what you really have to change and what you really have to fix. But if you're looking through the wide angle lens, if you're looking through the big lens and you're looking at through this, everything looks very far away. So everything that you're doing that you think it's bad, ah, it's not so bad really. Everybody else is much worse. I'm really much better than it is. Says so that's why we're taking a single wick candle to note that if you really want to search yourself, you really want to search for the evil inclination, it has to start with humility. If you don't do that, you're not going to find anything because you're perfect just the way that you are. The, you know, the idea of being humble is exactly the opposite of the Greeks. The Greeks brought darkness. We started the Midrash, says the Greeks brought darkness into our world. It says, ah, 
you don't have to change anything. You're okay just the way you are. There's so much you know, beauty that's going on outside. It says if you really want to change something, if you really want to turn on the light, we have to use the small wick, the nail that we use on Pesach to go and see the small things. What is it? To be humble. Once we're humble... Then they're going to light up our world. Then we're going to be able to see En On Milvada. There's nothing other than God. Once we see that, then we're going to be able to say thank you, which we know is the essence, the underlining reason of, of lighting the, the Hanukkah candle. Now, at the beginning of the time, did I say I was going to finish off? I meant right now I'm finishing off with something. Okay, I don't know if I had. Right now, yeah. So, the, uh, in, the, you know, in the beginning of the time, there was something known as the Or Haganus. The Or Haganus was a special light. It's a special light. Now, what was this light? It was a light that was around for 36 hours in the beginning of creation. This light was such an amazing light. It wasn't light that we understand today. It's light of clarity. You ever realize in our life we have so many questions. Why is bad things happening to us? Why is this? We don't understand so much. We, better yet, we don't understand anything in life. And this light is this spiritual ohaganus. It's a light that everything just makes sense. Yeah, you know, like it says, you know, the, the Chazal Chami tells us that when will life make sense? After you're six feet under. After 120 you know, you're gonna have so much questions. Be like, you know, I have, I have people that I speak to and be like, you know, when I get up there, I'm going to get, I have so many questions for God. I'm like, guess what? The second that you get placed six feet under, all those questions are gonna be null and void. Cause everything is just gonna become like, like shooting like into you. Like, er, like the lights are gonna turn on and be like, oh wait, that's why this happened. That everything is gonna make perfect sense when you see the full picture. Right now we don't see the full picture. The Oaga News was this powerful spiritual light that everything made sense. There was no doubt. That like Amalek is known as doubt. Uh, this Aganus removes every doubt that you have. We know exactly why and everything needs and should happen. Everything makes perfect sense in every single decision in your life. This is why the Gemara in Chagiga, page 12a, says that Adam Arishan was able to see from one end of the world to the other end of the world. What does that mean? It means he saw the essence of everything. God was very obvious. Now God is hidden. Aganus, God is very obvious. Everything is very obvious. The Greek philosophy, they... they took away the notion that there is a depth or any hidden you know, spirituality. There's nothing in there. Now we can understand what the Oraganus, by the way, the Oraganus is 36 hours. 36 hours, you take all the candles and we start off with one in the, first, in the first night. Then we take two, so you take one plus two. Then we take three, plus three, plus four, plus five. We get into a whopping number of 36. Says the Bnei Saskar, if I'm not mistaken, he says the 36 candles that we're lighting on Hanukkah denotes the 36 hours of the Oraganus. There is a way that we could tap into this light. And when can we tap into this light? On Hanukkah. Now what is this light? This is a light of clarity. The Greeks were the one that's saying there's nothing hidden, there's nothing spiritual, everything is all superficial. No, just the opposite. We need the Oraganus. The Oraganus is going to be able to go and be able to get us out of it. Now we can understand everything and we'll do a quick recap. We started off, we said we're searching for darkness. Why are we searching for darkness for? We should be searching for light. And the reason is because if you don't realize that you're in darkness, you will never search for the light. The first step is, is you have to realize that we are in darkness. And yes, we are in darkness. We have to stop for a second and think, what am I doing with my life? Am I in darkness or am I in light? Once we realize that we're in darkness, we'll be able to flip on the switch and we're able to see, okay, really, what is the true light? Now we know the purpose of lighting the candles of Hanukkah is to say thank you. In order to get that, you need humility. You need to be humble. <laughs> How are you going to get? How are you going to get to you know to humility? That is exactly the opposite of what the Greeks were doing. It's exactly the opposite of what we said. That's why we're using now one candle. Now is now Hanukkah. That's why it says because that's showing you the humility that you need to go. You want to turn on the light. First prerequisite is you have to be humble. Once you be humble, you realize you're in darkness. You realize you're in darkness. You're going to turn on the light. Once you turn on the light, you see an Vado. You see an Vada, Then you're going to be able to say thank you, Hakadosh Baruch And then you can be able to be yotze the mitzvah of Nel Hanukkah. Any questions? No questions? Because it was so amazing. Oh, it was good. Okay.
any, any, so really for real, no, any questions about anything else in life? No questions. Okay. Wow, this is a first. I, I'm about to stop this. Are you sure? No questions? <laughs> I've never had this before. Okay. Hazakabo. Amazing. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.